Heavenly Father, we pray now that you would glorify your Son Jesus in our midst by helping us hear this word that speaks of him as true. Help me to speak it truthfully and clearly and help us all to understand it, to grasp Jesus' greatness and to trust him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, is there purpose and order in the universe? Is it good? Can that purpose be known? Or is it all just chance and we are just accidental meaning-generating creatures? The outcome of physical laws operating randomly on matter, waiting to be sucked back into chaos and death. They're big questions, aren't they? Universal questions, questions of meaning and purpose, and they may sound abstract, but they're really deeply personal questions, which at some point most of us ask, some point perhaps even troubled by. See, is there a moral order, a way of living that I should align myself with or that I ignore at my peril? Is, say, karma a reality and what you do will always come back at you? Is the trouble perhaps you're experiencing now the result of your own selfish actions from which there's no escape? Is reality just what I or the powerful can make it to be? Is it is, well, is my own identity in it malleable but also fragile, lost to me when I lose the will to sustain it? Or is reality given? And I have to find my place within it, but finding my place within it, I can know myself. Is there someone or something bigger than myself to which I can relate with, which I should and could be in harmony? Or are we just all alone? One day, will I lose all, and I myself be lost? And so, should I live in the present with a ferocity for life, for experience, for self, because I know it's all fleeting and nothing lasts? See, they are the big questions, and our answers shape the choices we make, the course in life we pursue, the way we think, about ourselves. So, for example, if this life is all there is, why not pursue whatever it is that gives you pleasure, makes you feel good, no matter what? But, of course, answers to the big questions are not self-evident in our world, are they? You can look around life, you can observe nature, you can watch people and the outcome of the choices they make, you can listen to them and their insights. And sometimes you might think life is purposeful, and whether you choose good or evil matters, and at other times you might think that choosing good, trying to live with integrity, while it might matter personally, doesn't matter ultimately in a mechanical, purposeless universe. Sometimes you might have a sense of a higher power, have an experience that suggests that you're not alone, but at other times you might feel totally desolate and abandoned. You might listen to arguments for or against the existence of God and get conviction one way or another and then hear a better argument for the other side or find your answer unsatisfactory because it doesn't mesh with your experience. In the end, you might conclude that the best thing is just to enjoy yourself and avoid those bigger commitments because there is no bigger picture or not one you can make out. Look at the range of answers people around you adopt and the answers to the big questions are not self-evident, are they? 
And sometimes you might even be a puzzle to yourself. You find a restlessness, a darkness in your heart that you can't explain. John's Gospel, which we will start looking at this evening, is a big picture gospel. It tunes into the big questions for its first readers in its first few verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Talk of the Word resonated. Resonated if his hearers were part of the Greek majority culture with their questions about order and reason in the universe, or if they were Jews, resonated with their concerns about God and his action in the world, whether he was still acting in a world where so much seemed hard or to make no sense if he ruled, where so much of what was promised still seemed unfulfilled and the great acts of God all in the past. John raises the big questions to answer them to answer them in his gospel in a way that is so much better than the solutions we can make or find for ourselves. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John's scope is all time and all creation. He's painting his story on the canvas of the universe. He speaks of the word, a term used by some Greek philosophers of the principle of order in the universe that protects from chaos. By others of a a universal reason, the reason you needed to bring your life into harmony with if you were to live well, to live a rational, genuinely human life. A claim to know that reason, to be able to make that word known, that was a big claim that attracts interest. But John's opening line more directly catches up Jewish concerns. In the beginning, as you heard, echoes the first line of their Bible. God created, as we see in Genesis 1, by speaking. By his word. John is locating the story he will tell in the creation and its purposes. And John will go on to tell us more of that creating and of the God who created. John makes clear in his opening lines the relationship of this word to God and to creation, that is, to us. The word is there in the beginning, already existing when time began. The word is not created, does not have a beginning. It's not that the word comes into being at the beginning or with the beginning. The word is there already. In the beginning was the word. And the word is there with God. He is distinct from God, yet he is never apart from God or separate from God. The word is always with God, his word. And the word, it says, was God, was. The word does not become God. He is God already at the beginning. And he is not a God, as the Jehovah's Witnesses claim. For those interested, I can explain afterwards why theirs is an illegitimate translation of what's called the Anathras predicate. Now you might think, why did he use those two words? 
Uh, it's actually just so that you know that people actually do know about those things and understand them so that when the JWs are there knocking on your door and saying, oh, this is what the Bible really says, it says it's a word, you ought to be thinking, actually, no, that's, that's just not true. We actually know what this is about. We actually understand Greek grammar. And we understand that it can actually not mean what they say. Their translation really is fished from the air designed to support their view that the Son is a created being given the exalted title God, but not God in reality. And that is exactly the opposite of the point John is making here. See, the word is not one God amongst others, nor just a partaker of divinity. John says he is God. Oh yes, his being does not exhaust God. He is not all the God there is. There is a difference between saying the Word was God and God was the Word or the Word was the God. The latter two identify the Word as the whole God. But the way John has expressed himself actually characterises the Word. The being of the word is the being of God. John makes that clear while not setting up a relationship of one-to-one equivalence in a sense between the word and God as if the word was all that God there is. The word's character, his nature, his being is God, the character and nature of the only one God. He is nothing less than God. But as the word himself reveals, God is Father, Spirit and Son. Now the image of the word itself points to that, that the word is God. You see, you are always with your word. You need that word to be known to yourself and to others. And your word shares your character with you. It expresses, even embodies you in relationship with others. But it only does that as word, distinct from you while you. This word was with God in the beginning. John's giving us time to take in what he's just said. This distinct word who is God is always with God, was there already in the beginning And that is why he has the relationship to creation that he does and which John is about to reveal to us. But I've tried to engage you with the big questions and some of you, some of you I don't know, might be stumbling already at John's mention of God, having convinced yourself that whatever the answers are to the big questions, God, for better or ill, has no part as many in our society believe. Well, the God John is speaking of here is not just a divine idea. John's writing as a Jew, a people with a history of relationship with the living God. The God he speaks of is personal and active, the creator of Genesis 1, the creator and ruler of all. And this may be precisely the God you've already decided does not, cannot have a role in working life out. This is the God whose non-existence your engagement with life is based on. But if that's you, before you dismiss what John is saying, recognise the challenge of what John is saying to your position. You see, word speaks of communication. 
It's the communication by which we order our experience, through which we know and are known. Word is the possibility of relationship. The existence of the one God who is the Word and more than the Word is not left to speculation. In the very idea of the Word, there is a coming of this God to you, a making known, which will either be or not be. But John is even bolder. Later he will claim that this making known of God by God is not just a word echoing in the creating of the universe, not just a word that may find a resonance in your own being. No, he's going to say this word takes on flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, glories of the only, the unique one from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, this is a word that breaks into human bodily existence and can be experienced, known in being experienced. The communication of this God is not left to speculation, but by God's action can be known, experienced in human life. And in communicating, God is vindicating his being. In revealing his reality, he is putting beyond doubt his existence. So if your answers to the big questions have been founded up to now on dismissing God, John in the beginning of his book is saying, hear me out. He's not offering you intellectual arguments about an idea. He's offering you witness to the self-communication of God with humanity. He's written this prologue to this, these first verses to his book to invite you to read on to test your ideas and your longings against his experience, his witness to his experience and the experience of others who have encountered this word, God, become flesh. And the stakes are high for those who open the pages of John. For this God who is and has a word is the God who is vitally involved with humanity and all creation, and has been so from the beginning, not an absent, easily ignored, disinterested God, but the God who knows and can be known. All things were made through him, through the word who is God and is with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, the word is not a presence we can ignore. All that is, is made through him. Creation bears the imprint of his being and of his purpose in creating. There are no exceptions. There is nothing outside his overarching design. More humans, we humans, owe life to him. Ultimately, life is not inherent in matter. The origin of life and the sustaining of life is a gift to creation from outside creation. We are dependent on the word for this life we so often take for granted. Now that creates obligation. We owe. We owe our most precious possession, life itself, to the word but it is also a source of great hope because there is actually a life which endures independent 
of our frailty, independent of the frailty of matter and time. But John focuses on the relationship of the word to humanity. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Now that is such an evocative phrase, isn't it? Let it play in your imagination. Light is the source of knowledge, of safety, of growth. Light is essential to life. It's the word, says John, that directs, sustains, secures our life. It's in his light that we find ourselves, our humanity. Already there is a sense that with the word life is not purposeless. But we can know ourselves, know what we are meant to be, can flourish in our being, in knowing the word who is the light of all mankind. And that's good, for despite all, his light endures. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's true, isn't it? Darkness is the absence of light, and where light comes, darkness flees. It really is powerless in the face of light. But there is more which makes this statement of God, that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, a word of great and enduring hope. You see, these introductory verses of John and not just an invitation to read on, a kind of trailer to engage your interest. For those who have read John, they're also a summary of what will be revealed in the rest of the book. And this verse summarises the gospel. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines. The word become flesh amongst us, Jesus shines. And the darkness, the darkness of human rebellion against God can neither overtake, comprehend or overcome it. The darkness cannot extinguish this light. It cannot corrupt the light, cannot mix in with the light. No matter what the darkness claims or does, the life of the word which is our light shines pure and unwavering. No corruption of truth or mercy or goodness. And the next few verses enlarge on that, hint at the wonderful story to come. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light but came to bear witness to the light. The true light which enlightens or shines upon everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood nor the will of the flesh nor the will of man but of God. You see, the story of the word that begins before eternity that involves the whole creation, the story of the word who is the light of men intersects with human history at a particular place and time, intersects with the lives of real people like us. John directs us to the well-known John amongst the Jews of Jesus' day, John the Baptist, a real historical figure whose ministry was well-known and respected. And he says, the ministry of John the Baptist in first century Palestine had a very specific purpose. And it wasn't to point people to himself. 
The whole point of John's ministry was to point people to the light that was coming into the world. He came as a witness, to bear witness to the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light but came to bear witness to the light. Now that verse reminds us of the uniqueness of Jesus, the light come into the world, the word become flesh. John, like all the other prophets, is a man sent from God. Jesus is God from God, the eternal word, who has become flesh distinct in his being from all who come before or after. And so his word, in a sense, is distinct, a unique revelation of God. And those verses also speak of God's kindness. The light of the world does not come into the world without preparation. God gives witnesses, proofs, as it were, of who Jesus is. Here it's the witness of John, a man acknowledged at the time to be a true prophet of God. Later in the Gospel it will speak of other witnesses, the signs Jesus does, the witness of the Father himself, the witness of the Scriptures. God didn't need to send witnesses. Jesus should be accepted on his own word. But there they are, all in the witness box, all pointing to Jesus and saying, He is the one. He is the one. Come to bring life. And all that God-given witness has a purpose, that people, that you and I might believe in Jesus, believe that he is what the gospel proclaims him to be, the true light of humanity, God-given God, the bread of life, the resurrection and the life, the way to God the way in which we can know truly God, our Father. God's generous witness to the light through John, his witness to Jesus, makes what we are told next so stunning. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Now verse 9, which enlightens every man, is not saying that Jesus works an inner enlightenment in everyone. Rather, he shines upon us all. His revelation is for all, as he is the genuine light, the only light of the world, the light for all, as there is no other. It's saying that something extraordinary has happened. The word in whom is life has come into the world. Now how... John will tell us in verse 14, a section that we'll actually look at together on Christmas Day, but you can read ahead. See, here though, John is focused on the response of the world, of people, to the word, the light of men coming into the world. <coughs> though made by him creation, and particularly human creation, the world, human society as a whole, did not recognise or acknowledge him. They failed to know the one who is their life, their light. Now think how destructive that is. To fail to know the light is to choose to stay in darkness. Darkness that chokes life, that threatens safety, that constrains flourishing. It's to miss that organising principle of human life, the purpose of human existence. To refuse to acknowledge the light is to embrace darkness and be lost in it forever. But it gets worse. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. 
The whole creation belongs to the word, it is all his. But here placed next to, his, next to the world, his own speaks of the people God has chosen to be his very own people, the Jews, the descendants of Abraham. They were the people God had rescued from slavery in Egypt and dealt with, dealt with in great mercy over the centuries. The people who confessed that God was their king. These are the people who should have rejoiced in the coming of their God, seen in that coming his salvation, but they did not receive him. Now that's using a negative to say positively that they rejected him. And think of what we know that rejection looked like, this rejection of the light who is the life of men. Think of what you know of the gospel story. That rejection is betrayal and bitter jealousy. It's a determination to think ill of Jesus and associate with him, him with evil. He cast out demons by the prince of demons. That rejection is abandonment by those who loved him, indifference by those who should have protected him, cruelty and mocking by those who were jealous of him, the searing pain of being scourged, and then the cross and its shame. See, that rejection is a determined effort to extinguish the light, to deny our dependence on the word, our dependence on our God. And though the subject of that behaviour is extraordinary, Jesus, that kind of behaviour itself is only too well known by us, too, too well known by us, isn't it? Betrayal of the good, the use of violence to achieve political ends, the confusion of truth and error, the willful misrepresentation of facts to serve selfish purposes. And what's the cause? of not receiving the word, of rejecting him. Well, it's not upbringing or lack of education. Later on, John writes this in chapter 3, this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his or her works should be exposed. People didn't receive the light. They rejected the light because they wanted to. There was something that they loved more than the light, their own selfish lifestyle. They didn't want to see their actions portrayed as they were and they didn't want to change to stop the things they loved. It's like many today, you, I. We turn our back on the light because we love other things more. We don't want our pride or our manipulative anger or our lust or our drunkenness or whatever to be exposed for what it is. Perhaps that's you. Perhaps that's why you might be opposed to the very idea of a living God. Opposed to the idea of non-negotiable, absolute standards of truth and right that are not subject to you, which come with acknowledging the light. And that determination to love the wrong things we do gives us our world, doesn't it? Where civilians starve in Yemen and Rohingyas are driven from their homes and cluster bombs are dropped in Syria. But of course, the world is not just out there, is it? It's here. 
teenagers enslaved to addiction for profit. Our environment, our skies polluted for short-term gain, women demeaned in proliferating porn, the promotion of gambling that impoverishes families for the profit of some, the life of many unborn in our own land, sacrificed. The darkness surrounds and threatens to engulf individuals and societies. And our whole world, our whole world, as the finger hovers over the nuclear button, forgotten but still there, in the background of the Ukraine and the South China Sea. The darkness surrounds. But it says the light shines. God's purpose in his word-created world does not falter. The light shines in the darkness. And though that rejection and through that rejection, those who believe can become children of God. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. To receive the light, the word become flesh, Jesus Christ, to welcome and accept him, is to believe in his name. That is, to believe who he reveals himself to be in his words and actions, because that is his name, his self-revelation of himself. And the gospel, in a sense, will flesh out that name for us as Jesus tells us who he is. The bread of life who satisfies the light of the world. The good shepherd who will lay down his life to give his people abundant life. The resurrection and the life, the true vine that will sustain us in fruitful life before God. The way, the truth and the life who can bring us to the Father as he tells us he is the Son sent from the Father. To believe in his name is to trust that what he says of himself is true. More, it is to trust that his death, a death that dominates the gospel story, the fruit of the rejection of the light come into the world, it's to trust that the death that is the hour of darkness when all light seems to have gone is the work that the Father has given the Son, the Word, to do to bring us life. To those who believe in his name, God gives this wonderful, extraordinary gift, the right to become children of God. Belonging to the family of God speaks of secure relationship where we can call God Father. And in all our confusion, we can know him in whom is all truth, all goodness, all love and it speaks of a secure future where we share in the life of God in being given the spirit of God an idea that dominates John's gospel where we know in being given the spirit the life of the age to come which is eternal but starts now in receiving the spirit the river of living water you see to be a child of God is to have present peace and a certain future, that certainty of sharing in the family's inheritance, the new heaven and earth. And knowing that relationship and that future, receiving that life, those who are God's children will also not be overcome 
by the darkness. That life will endure. And this is the work of God, the work of God alone. He alone confers this right. They're born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Belonging to this family does not depend upon biology or human desire or human descent. It is birth from God, the new birth Jesus will speak of in John 3. And because it's from God, it's open to all who believe, who will receive Jesus, no matter what their human origin or ancestry or past. And coming from God, it is secure. For it comes from the will of the only one who can give creatures a place in his family. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Does that thrill you in your heart? Jesus, the light of the world, good, true, gracious, faithful, Rejected, crushed and beaten, mocked and abandoned, darkness surging all around him, darkness that seems omnipotent, and there he is alone with nothing naked on the cross, and his light does not waver or dim. He is the eternal word, the one in whom is life, who has life in himself and can share that life. He is light for us to live by, to die by, and to live forever by. In the face of chaos, in the face of overwhelming human indifference, selfishness, and the sin that we see around us, the sin we see in us, there is hope here for the world, in the light of the world. Hope that life is purposeful, has a rhyme and a reason. Hope that there is a moral order, there is truth and goodness, and it wins. And there's hope here not just for the world, but for individuals, for you and I. The hope for all who believe in him, who receive the light of the world come into the world. See, if you know Jesus already as the word who is the light of men come into the world, yours is joy. Joy that can abide in the darkest times, times of confusion and fear, times when you feel darkness, you know, the wrongs of others, the chaos of the world threatening to overwhelm you. Oh yes, joy even when you feel the life of this age slipping away as it will. There is joy. For you have life from your Saviour. And there is hope in your Saviour. For the darkness has not, cannot, will not stop him from being the light of the world, the life-giving light. And you are, through trusting him, a child of God. And he will keep his word and be to you all he has said he is. Joy, hope and thankfulness are yours as you know and trust Jesus and know now the life he gives by his spirit. And I hope you make room for that in your life to know that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it and you know that for yourself.
Oh, and if you don't know Jesus is who John claims him to be, you should find out more, for there are answers, the best answers to the big questions in what John tells us of Jesus, and there is satisfaction for our deepest <laughs> longings, longings for life and meaning, purpose and hope, longing for love. In knowing, in hearing this Jesus, in opening up your heart to his light. So find out more. This is just the beginning. Read on with us because there is so much more. Even in the next few verses that speak of how the word comes as the light of the world and how John knows this and what this tells us of God. If you don't know, if you have not yet received, believed in Jesus, well, read on and listen to this word. But perhaps God's word has resonated with your longings tonight, that in the word you have heard a God who speaks his word in your heart. That actually happens. God brings his word to you with conviction. And he's given you that conviction. In hearing this word, that Jesus is the light come into the world and you long to embrace this light. But you don't know what that means for you. Well, come and talk and find out what it is to know this light that endures and will be your life and hope. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not, will not, ever overcome it. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that in the darkness of our world, even in the darkness of our own hearts, we can know the light of the world. We can know your son Jesus shining his light and with that light bringing life and hope to us. We pray that we would receive him, that we would hear what he says of himself, that we would be convicted beyond a doubt by your spirit that it is true and that in embracing the light we would know the joy of being your children, those who can call you Father and know that they will live with you forever. We ask this in Jesus' name.